Beloved, please take your Bibles and turn with me uh, to two uh, texts, uh, the two that we uh, began considering last week, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, and Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, as we continue our series on the godly home. Uh, and we will look at each of these passages again uh, tonight, and uh, they will be somewhat of a launching pad into uh, a sermon uh, on raising children uh, in the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, please stand with me. Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Please turn with me now to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 and beginning in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen. Well, let us pray. Our Father... And our God, we thank you for your truth, for your revelation that you've given us through the prophets and the apostles. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would be pleased to open our ears and our hearts to your word, uh, that we would not just hear your word, but truly receive it and respond to it by faith. Uh, Father, those of us who are parents, uh, and uh, soon those who will be parents, uh, we recognize, Lord, that we are sinners uh, and that these are challenging matters. Uh, no, in no higher place does uh, our sin and uh, the realities of sin uh, intersect uh, than in Christian parenting and all the challenges that it presents. And, and Father, we pray, even as we consider a godly home, that uh, you would grant us the grace uh, to uh, persevere, to carry on, to be uh, those who seek uh, to honor and glorify you in our homes, in our parenting, uh, that children uh, here this evening would seek to honor and, uh, uh, and to respect their parents and to obey them, uh, that our homes, Lord, would be schools of Christ, that they would be places of peace and joy uh, in the Holy Spirit, and we ask for that, uh, for your glory. Lord, bless this time together, we pray. Grant us grace. Uh, teach us, correct us, rebuke us, uh, and train us uh, in all righteousness as we seek to have godly homes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Conscientious Christian parents are committed to raising their children in the Lord. In the Lord, as you uh, notice in Ephesians 6 and verse 1, children obey your parents uh, in the Lord, for this is right. 
Uh, at minimum, this means that they will have their children and worship on the Lord's Day and practice some measure of biblical piety in the home during the week. But godly parenting for the glory of God, it goes beyond uh, the kind of minimum effort. Godly parenting for the glory of God is diligent. It's persevering. It's, it's thorough. It conforms to the truth and principles of Scripture and seeks above all to lead our covenant children to Christ for salvation and to cultivate a vibrant, growing, lifelong walk with God. Nothing should matter more to the Christian parent. Nothing mattered more to Cotton Mather, a minister in colonial New England in the late 17th, early 18th century. In typical Puritan form, he wrote 21 personal resolutions related to the raising of his children for the glory of God. Here's a sample. Resolved. This is his first one. At the birth of my children, I will resolve to do all I can that they may be the Lord's. I will now actually give them up by faith to God, entreating that each child may be a child of the Father, excuse me, a child of God the Father, a subject of God the Son, a temple of God the Spirit, and be rescued from the condition of a child of wrath, and be possessed and employed by the Lord as an everlasting instrument for his glory. Number two, as soon as my children are capable of minding my admonitions, I will often admonish them, saying, Child, God has sent his son to die, to save sinners from death and hell. You must not sin against him. You must every day cry to God that he would be your father and your savior and your leader. You must renounce the service of Satan. You must not follow the vanities of this world. You must lead a life of serious religion. Number seven, I will cause my children to learn the catechism. Fourteen, I will be watchful and cautious about the companions of my children. I will be very inquisitive of the company that they keep. Fifteen, I will speak to them about what they've learned in the preaching of God's word and whether or not they consent unto the glorious gospel. Some examples, and we know that even today as we talk to our own children in our own homes, we have very similar kinds of conversations that they did back in the 17th century. This is not rocket science or some high level of theology. This uh, is straightforward biblical parenting. But perhaps it's time uh, for us in our own congregation to make some resolutions, uh, resolutions that reflect a commitment to, to raising children biblically and thus counterculturally. Resolutions that reflect that there is a real battle for the minds of our children, for the hearts of our children. With Christianity under attack, it's no longer an option for Christian parents to go into cruise control, hoping for the best with minimal effort. No, we all need to be vigilant, training and protecting our children with the greatest of care. Rod Dreher draws attention to a book by Alistair McIntyre entitled After Virtue. And this book uh, likens the, quote, current cultural moment to the fall of the Roman Empire in the West. Dreher writes that, quote, McIntyre argued that the West has abandoned reason and the tradition of the virtues in giving itself over to the relativism that is now flooding our world today. We are governed not by faith or by reason or by any combination of the two. 
we are governed by what McIntyre calls emotivism. The idea that all moral choices are nothing more than expressions of what the choosing individual feels is right. You think that's accurate? That's the day we live in. And let us not think that we are immune to such emotivism. It's all around us. It's all around us. It's in the shows we watch. It's in the screens that we look at. It's in the messages we receive from those who are trying to sell us things. Uh, it's, it's in uh, uh, people that we know and love. It's emotivism. It's, it's what I feel is ultimately the governing factor in everything that I think about and it's in my life. To live, after to live after virtue then, he writes, is to dwell in a society that not only can no longer agree on what constitutes virtual belief and conduct, but also doubts that virtue exists at all. Dear ones, this is the post-Christian, post-virtue, post-moral standard society that our children are growing up in today. And as the veneer of cultural Christianity continues to dissipate, the temptation to embrace the spirit of the age will only increase. The pressure will only get greater. This is why we need to redouble our commitment to godly homes, to godly parenting. We don't want to parent in fear. Uh, we don't want to think um, that uh, you know, every moment uh, that the whole thing's on the line, uh, that every uh, good or bad decision has these massive lifelong consequences. No, but we want the pattern of our home, the, the, the focus of our attention as it concerns parenting to be that we want to have a godly home. This isn't always easy in a context of wealth, distraction, and cultural pressure. And we have all three where we live in Charleston. So last week, we learned how we are to think of our children, not as little heathens to be evangelized, but as baptized covenant children to be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, those who are marked uh, with the sign and seal of the covenant of grace, uh, and they are initiated uh, into the visible church, and it's in the bosom of the church that our children grow up and learn about the gospel and learn how to live uh, the Christian life and, and, and learn the way of discipleship. It's in the bosom of the church that our children are regularly exposed to the means of grace, the means that the Holy Spirit uh, uses to raise the elect from spiritual death to spiritual life in Christ. We raise our children according to the covenant promises of God, always pointing them to the person and work of Christ for their salvation. And the call of discipleship is not something that just happens once. And it's not something that just happens, uh, say, when our kids turn a certain age and then we sort of call them to discipleship and that's the big call and then we sort of move on. The call to discipleship comes continually, okay? We here tonight, by God's grace, are Christ's disciples, amen? We're followers of Christ. How often do we need to hear a call, a renewed call to discipleship, to deny ourselves? to take up the cross and to follow Christ, to bow the knee to Christ and not to self, not to emotivism, not to the cultural uh, uh, revolution. Um, how often do we need to hear this? We need to hear it all the time, and we want this to be a part of the discipleship process 
in our homes. We raise our children in the Lord, always pointing them to the person and work of Christ for grace and forgiveness, praying that God would have mercy upon them as he ordinarily does in the lives of covenant children. We also were reminded last week that our children are not ultimately ours. They are the Lord's. Their baptisms symbolize this. We are merely God's agents. We are his ambassadors. We are entrusted with the stewardship of raising our children according to the promises of God and his standards. This is parenting for the glory of God. And here's the thing, and this is not easy in an area like the one we live in and with all the pressures. Our goal in parenting is not the success of our children, but the faithfulness of our children to the Lord. Isn't it true? And we can so often think that that is the ultimate goal, the success of our children, the financial success of our children. It's not bad to be financially successful, of course, but oftentimes financial success can mean spiritual ruin doesn't need to be that way, but it so often is because of the allurements away from the Lord. Our goal should be faithfulness, faithfulness whether in plenty or in want. And as we return to our text in Ephesians 6, 4, we see that two words are employed in relation to parenting. Bring them up, Paul writes, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction. I want to spend the rest of our time considering these two uh, words uh, which are related to raising our children uh, in the Lord. I, I, obviously, there's so much here in this subject. Um, we will be focusing this evening mostly on uh, parenting younger children, though some of these things will certainly apply to older children as well. And if I can just pause for a moment, I think it's so important and important pastorally uh, to say that there is no perfect parent. I can say that, okay, because I have a biblical anthropology. <laughs> um, there's no perfect parent. Um, every parent gets frustrated. Every parent uh, uh, acts in ways they don't want to act, and they are sorry for that. Every parent struggles with things. Um, and every child uh, growing up in a home uh, doesn't always obey like they uh, are supposed to, and they have regrets, and, and we all have regrets uh, of the way that we uh, lived with our parents when we were growing up in different ways, and, and so all of this is true, and so this teaching, this teaching comes into uh, a, a broken world. It, it comes into the realities of, of a sin-torn world, and so as we come to it, um, we recognize that there's no formula to punch in. You know, just punch in this formula, read these five books, and, and, and teach your children in this particular way, and then your children are going to be walking with the Lord. They're going to, you know, have this vibrant witness for Christ. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We do what we know to do. We don't do it perfectly. Uh, we throw ourselves into the merciful arms of our Savior, uh, and we entrust it all to the Lord. Um, but that is important to remember because there can be so much guilt in the hearts of parents, particularly when their children have walked away from the Lord. The fact is 
the fact is, and you will all, if you have young children, say this to your children when they are older, that at the end of the day, they are accountable to God. Our, par- our, our children, our parents are too, our children are accountable to God. And so remember that, dear parent whose child has walked away from the Lord or seems to be disinterested in the Lord, um, who seem to be throwing off God's promises and embracing something different. They are accountable to God, just as we are accountable to God, and we always are there to call them back to faith in Jesus Christ and to receive them and to love them and to pray for them. And so let us remember these things as we go forth. And one point I want to make that's so important that really is overshadowing this whole thing, and this is so important for all parents, for future parents, when parenting your children and correcting them, focus on the condition of their hearts more than the exactness of their obedience. Focus on the condition of their hearts more than on the exactness of their obedience. Now, I understand that an inexact obedience can often show the state of the heart. And so it's not always straightforward that way. Uh, there is uh, some things to think through on that. And, um, but the ultimate goal is, is a heart change, which we pray for and we teach and instruct and we are uh, nurturing them in this. Um, but that needs to be the ultimate focus, not on the exactness of their obedience. Parent the hearts of your children. That's the first point parent the hearts of your children. Remember, in raising our children from infancy, our aim is to lead them to Christ, to show them their great need of His redemptive work. It's what their baptism is for, to point out their need of the cleansing blood of Christ. There's no greater gift, parents, than you can give to your children than to show them Christ, than to give them that gift of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, reinforced Uh, day after day, and Lord's Day after Lord's Day in the context of the local church. Our parenting should not simply be some version of behavior modification. Those who simply modify their behavior without seeing their need of the person and work of Christ will end up dying in their sins and going to hell. It's vital then as parents that we nurture our children by going past the bad behavior to the attitudes of the heart that motivated the behavior. Teaching your children the categories of original and actual sin and help them to understand the disease of indwelling sin and the need for Jesus to give us a new heart and a renewed heart in the Lord. If we only deal with our children's disobedience on the behavior level, we may be raising little hypocrites or Pharisees. We need to constantly point out to our children their need for Christ, and now listen, our need for Christ. Our children need to know that we see a dependence upon and a need for the grace of God, even as we encourage them to embrace that sovereign grace. In his book entitled Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp, he writes, quote, I have spoken to many parents who feared they were producing little hypocrites who were proud and self-righteous. Hypocrisy and self-righteousness is the result of giving children a keepable law and telling them to be good. You get that? That is 
always where self-righteousness stems is where there's some kind of a keepable law that is either put before them or as adults that we construct for ourselves and then compare ourselves to others with and then we think that we are right with God because there is this keepable law, what Mike Horton calls law light. You know, don't give me the full law because then I'm going to know how sinful I really am. Give me law light. I can obey that and then be right with God and compare myself to others who aren't as good as I am. You see, hypocrisy and self-righteousness is the result of giving children a keepable law and telling them to be good. To the extent that they are successful, they become like the Pharisees. The genius of Pharisaism was that it reduced the law to a keepable standard of externals that any self-disciplined person could do. In their pride and self-righteousness, they rejected Christ, uh, end quote. It's interesting to me when it comes to Phariseeism that there is no consideration of at least two things when it comes to the law of God. Number one, when it comes to the law of God, they are not embracing the full law of God and all that it really means. Okay, so when you study the Ten Commandments, the moral law, when you really study it and you understand not just the letter of the law but the spirit of the law, you realize how, fall, how short you fall. The second thing uh, is that we are to obey God not just externally but what? From the heart. From the heart. Uh, and so there's that. And then there's also sins of omission that no one wants to think about. Sins of omission. How often throughout the day are we not thinking the thoughts we should be thinking? Are we not saying the words we should be saying? And we are not doing the things we should be doing with a heart full of love for God and our neighbor, loving our neighbor as ourselves. When we begin talking in those terms, suddenly there's no more law light. It's only the heavy crushing aspects of the law which show us our sin and our great need because we cannot save ourselves through our own obedience because our obedience is always falling short of God's standard. That's why Christ was sent in the, into the world, of course, to meet that standard and to give his life for our sins. If we are going to raise children with a heart for Christ, we need to parent our children's hearts and not just get them to obey a set of rules. We need to show them the root of their sins. We need to show them their need of Christ because of the deadly disease of sin and that their disobedience is only a symptom of a much larger problem. Ted Tripp writes this, the central focus of child rearing is to bring children to a sober assessment of themselves as sinners. Now, you might be a parent and you have a two-and-a-half-year-old that throws themselves on the ground and throws fits and is not up to having a theological conversation, uh, especially in those moments of, of, of their little toddler rebellion. What I'm communicating here, it's not that there is some big gospel conversation that happens every time your toddler or your... Um, middle schooler disobeys or whatever, but this is the pattern. This is the, the posture of the home. It's one where we are talking about these things in family worship, where we are praying about these things, where we are 
leading our children to, to Christ, and especially as it, as it concerns the means of grace, having them in church and hearing the preaching of the word. Let me give you an example of what this might look like. You find out after church that your four-year-old took a toy away from another child in the nursery and then hit them on the head with it. I know that would never happen in this church, but let's just say that happened. One way to respond would be to chastise your child, saying something like this, how could you do such a thing? What's wrong with you? Why are you so mean? You know we don't take things from others. You know that hitting others is wrong, and you are going to be punished. Okay? Full stop. One way to deal with it. A better way would be to respond something like this. I heard what you did in the nursery this morning. Why did you do that? The child says, well, I wanted the toy, and he wouldn't give it to me. Were you showing love to your friend in the nursery, or were you being selfish? I was being selfish. Where does that selfishness come from? My sinful heart. Right. And who is the only one who can help you with that? With your sinful heart, that is. Only Jesus can give us a new heart. Only Jesus can cleanse us from our sins and a heart that desires to show kindness and love rather than selfishness and harm to others. These kinds of conversations that happen in more, more uh, um, in lesser terms when a child is very, very young and they just grow as the child grows. The point is, it's not primarily about the disobedience or the parents' pride in having children that obey in front of their friends or fellow church members, but the root of that disobedience and our child's need for the gospel is the ultimate goal. Our children should grow up in homes where their parents are more concerned for the condition of their souls in their outward obedience and worldly accomplishments. Secondly, secondly, establish clear lines of authority and structure in your home. Establish clear lines of authority and structure in your home. Does it even need to be said that our children should not be running our homes? Godly parenting for the glory of God draws clear lines of authority and submission. The parents lead with the father as the head of the household and the children are called to obey. In our passage for this evening, Paul speaks directly to the children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Sadly, these days we live in a kid-centric world. One reason is that over half of marriages end in divorce. And too often, divorced parents feel a large measure of guilt about the divorce for one reason or another and what this has done to their children, and so they do not exercise proper authority over their children. They basically stop parenting, if they ever did in the first place. The kids run the home. Secondly, we live in the world of digital distraction. And so distracted parents abdicate their parental authority to the Disney Channel, or video games, or YouTube, or social media. The kids get hooked on digital media, structure in the home breaks down, and the parents learn to live with it. No longer being intentional with their parental authority, the kids develop habits similar to their parents, always looking at screens and rarely at each other or at the word of God. 
The only light in the home is the light from the screens of phones and iPads and televisions rather than the light of Christ and the light of God's word. But godly parenting is committed to something different than this. And it's intentional. It must be purposeful. Godly parenting establishes who's in charge. Godly parenting provides clear house rules, sets forth expectations, and communicates what will happen if those rules are not followed, and then follows through with consistency. Is this easy? No. No, this is not easy. Is it sometimes complicated? Yes, it is sometimes complicated. But these are the principles that are in place. Discipline in the home is both preventative and corrective. The clearer we are with the structure and rules of our home, the more we will avoid corrective discipline as a general rule. We all know that children are different. Some have stronger wills than others and must be regularly corrected and disciplined with patience and love. Another important aspect of parental authority relates to our ambassadorial role as parents. We exercise borrowed authority, as it were, authority from the Lord. And it's important that we communicate to our children that in exercising discipline and structure in our homes and, and in their lives, we are being obedient to God and doing what He is telling us to do for their physical and spiritual well-being. One writer puts it this way, quote, here's God's amazing plan. He makes His invisible authority visible by sending visible authority figures as his representatives, namely parents. And so set up the structure of your home. Bedtime, wake-up time, naps, story time, meal time, snacks, screen time, Lord's Day schedule, family worship, etc. And exercise loving spiritual authority as you do this, making it clear who runs the home and who must live in submission. 18 years of this will deeply instill in your children that they are not the center of the universe and they are not in control of the home. God is, through the parents, for their benefit. But what about discipline? What about discipline in the home? There's a narrative today that corporal punishment is cruel or abusive, but that narrative goes directly against Scripture. First of all, God himself disciplines his children. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Verse 8. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who dis disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
Some say it's unloving to discipline a child, but the opposite is true. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from the grave, from Sheol. I said it before in the opening sermon in this series that our entire society is breaking down because the family is breaking down, because marriage is breaking down, because the truth is not being preached from the pulpits of our land as it did once before. Uh, and so we need to recover this kind of structured, loving, and patient discipline. And this is an important point. When we do discipline in our homes, we must do it with self-control. That's the first thing. That's the first thing, self-control. Uh, do not discipline when you are angry. Do not discipline when you are angry. Discipline when you are self-controlled. Uh, secondly, patience in discipline. Thirdly, love love in your discipline, and then fourthly, instruction. Point them to Christ and to God's word in the midst of your discipline. Dear one, spiritual formation must be foundational in our thinking, not primary, uh, primarily on their sports achievements or academics or personal achievements of various kinds. And so, beloved, let us parent from the heart and let us parent to the heart. Let us establish clear lines of authority and structure in our homes. And let us, through the means of grace, always point them to Christ. This is the goal. This is the aim of Christian parents, is to have godly homes. And so if you think of um, how our own confession of faith communicates the importance of worship, personal worship, family worship, corporate worship, that as these uh, vital aspects of our walk with God are, are uh, being exercised, that if we have, as parents are spending time alone with God, searching our hearts, confessing our sin, looking to his word, believing his promises, uh, gaining direction from his word and wisdom, and then as a family we are gathering together regularly to worship God together, to read the word, to sing, to pray, and then on the Lord's Day, being committed to morning and evening worship. This is how we structure our home and our lives to be godly and Christ-centered. May we all, by His grace, be committed uh, to this. Our church will be all the much stronger when our homes are committed to godliness by the grace of God. Amen? Well, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this brief time in your word uh, this evening, uh, for these important principles of uh, cultivating and fostering a, a godly home uh, for your glory and for the salvation uh, of our children. And we do pray for our children, Lord, uh, whether they are unborn or small or adolescents, or perhaps uh, out of the home. Uh, we pray for them, Lord, that you would work in their hearts, that if they do not already have a new heart, that you would grant them one by your grace. You would call those who have wandered away back into fellowship with yourself by grace through faith, that you'd bring all prodigals home, 
We pray for those, Lord, who are deceived in thinking that to have spiritual mediocrity is, is okay. We pray, Lord, that you would grant the grace to our children to grow and to mature as disciples of Jesus Christ under the means of grace in the local church and in our godly homes. Lord, grant us parents wisdom, discernment, patience, and grace as we seek to raise our children in what has become a very complicated post-Christian culture. As the pressures come, Lord, we pray that we would not turn to the easy way, uh, that we would not uh, parent uh, by handing over our children uh, to the ways of the world, which are so much easier in the short run but cause destruction in the long run. Lord, grant us the grace to teach and instruct and be purposeful and intentional with our children as we raise them in the nurture and instruction, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And Lord, we pray all of these things. In the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.